I love Episcopal camps. I've always loved, since I was a kid, summer camps, and I really love Cathedral Ridge, which is the diocesan camp down near Colorado Springs in the mountains. Camp is a place to go in order to let your guard down. Camp is a place to go in order to get beyond all of those roles that you and I play sometimes so easily in our families at work or if you're a kid at school. It's a place to go a little bit deeper than what Jung called the persona, those public faces that we all wear so easily, but that sometimes mask the deeper texture and the richness of our personality and of our stories. Camp, like a parish church such as this, is a place to go then in order to remember that you have a soul. So I was thrilled to be called to be the chaplain at Cathedral Camp, the camp we've ever seen here at St. John's for a long, long time, and that includes eight-year-olds through high school and then with some counselors who are in college. I was thrilled to be named the chaplain, and when I enthusiastically announced to my two teenage children that I'd been called to be the chaplain, my son, who has a really dry and pointed wit, asked, how many people applied? And I told him what I will tell you, that's irrelevant. (laughs) Ian Thompson, our wonderful sacristan who's usually hovering in a purple cassock, he's around here somewhere behind a pillar, made his first ever visit to cathedral camp. Ian, as some of you know, used to work, he's an Englishman, and used to work at Westminster Abbey, so he's well-trained, and we usually listen to him. But what most of you don't know is that Ian moonlights as a magician. So he came to give three magic shows. He started after lunch with the youngest group, the eight, nine, and ten-year-olds. He moved on after that to the middle-aged group, and the last group was junior high and senior high. His card tricks were a hit and really amazing. And for the rest of the week, you saw kids at tables over lunch and dinner practicing what they'd learned from Ian. The darkest part of his show was undoubtedly what he only did for the older kids. The name of Ian's show was Voices from the Past, P-A-S-S-E-D. And the crescendo of the whole thing was when Ian communicated psychically with Harry Houdini's mother. (laughs) Thankfully... And I mean that literally, thank God. Her message to us was both playful and kind. Later that night at Compline, Compline night prayers, we were all gathered together just before bed. And Kathleen DeMars, the camp nurse and a beloved member of this parish and who's on our vestry, gave a little meditation. And during the meditation, she recalled the magic show from the afternoon, which at first I thought was a terrible idea. 
as we were going to bed. And she said, you know how during the magic show, whether it was a card trick or Houdini's mother, your first reaction was, there's no way. There's no way Ian knows what card I picked out of that deck. But then there's another reaction afterwards. And she said, it's the same thing in reading the Gospels. You see Jesus do something or prepare to do something, you think there is no way, there is no way somebody's going to get healed. There's no way there's going to be a bread enough for everybody. There's no way someone's going to rise from the dead. There's no way love is stronger than death. And yet, Kathleen said, there's, a, there's another reaction. After that very normal reaction that we all have, there's no way. There's another reaction, and that is, well, maybe. Maybe. And in that space of the maybe, Kathleen said to all of those children and all of those adults, is an openness to God. And that openness to God is what the church means by faith. I remembered Kathleen's lovely meditation this week when I read the gospel reading for this Sunday. And specifically these two lines. And Jesus could do no deed of power there except he laid his hands on a few sick people and cured them. And Jesus was amazed at their unbelief. That last line, amazed at their unbelief, is a line that only occurs in Mark's gospel. And it may be, and I believe that it is, the most poignant observation made by a narrator in the four gospels. It implies that Jesus depends upon us for help. It implies that Jesus just can't magically fix somebody or some situation. And it foreshadows a wonderful story that comes later in this very chapter in Mark, chapter 6, that we know of as the feeding of the 5,000. In that story, the, the, the crowds, the thousands have been hungry and they're hanging on every word that Jesus says. They're hungry for the bread of teaching. Night is coming and the disciples become rightly worried. What are the people going to eat, especially at nightfall? So they go to Jesus for help. And Jesus says, and at first he's not helpful as is so often the case. He says, you give them something to eat. They're dumbfounded. And they say, there's no way. That's not the official translation, but that's what they say. So Jesus says, how much bread do you have? So they go off and they figure that out and they come back and they say, five loaves and two fish. And Jesus starts not from scratch, but starts with that. And the rest, they say, is history or myth, depending on your theological proclivities. How much bread do you have? Jesus always starts with what we have to offer. 
How much bread do you have? How much love do you have? How much space in your pew, in your family, in your heart? How much money do you have? What do you have to give? Belief is making the offering of your gift, however modest that gift appears to you. And as that gift is received by Jesus, it becomes something unimaginably grand and mysterious. It's fascinating to think about faith in an Episcopal church, in an Episcopal cathedral. Deep in the DNA, the spiritual DNA of Episcopalians is reasonableness. We always want to be thoughtful. And we long for, as one of the burial prayers puts it, a reasonable faith in addition to a holy hope. John McQuarrie was... I believe, maybe the most important contemporary theologian within the Anglican Communion and the Episcopal Church. And he wrote once about what a reasonable faith is. And he says that a reasonable faith is a faith that seeks to have the highest degree of coherence with all the intellectual pursuits of the human mind. The highest degree of coherence with all intellectual pursuits, which means that The search for truth, whether in science or art, whether in philosophy or literature, whether in economics or music, anywhere, the search for truth, we believe, is actually a search for God, who is truth and beauty. And yet, a reasonable faith must leave room for what cannot be understood intellectually, must leave room for what is mysterious. Faith may be, at its most basic, simply the willingness to be surprised, the willingness to be surprised in any situation And by any person, even someone you know like the back of your hand. The willingness to be surprised, of course, by God, who is the biggest surprise of all. For God is the source of infinite mystery. And in Christ, of tender kindness. In other words, there's no way, maybe your first reaction in some situations... But it never has to be your last. 